day. So let's worship him. It's his birthday. Let's adore him. The song says, Oh, come, all you faithful. Stand again. Christmas. It is good to see you this morning. How many of you had a really early morning today? Yeah, but we're glad to be together. This is what Christmas is all about. This should be our biggest celebration as we come together for the purpose of worshiping our risen King, Jesus Christ, who came to us, who put on flesh and came and dwelt among us, that we might be able to know him and have a personal relationship with him. And so we have reason for joy and for great celebration today. For those of you that are joining us through television or through Facebook Live, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and so glad to have you here together with us. And uh, I am Brother Brad Walker. I'm the pastor here at Bryanser Baptist Church, and we are very excited about what the Lord has in store for us this morning. There on Facebook Live, if you will, uh, put, put your name there so we know that you're with us on this Christmas morning. And if you have any prayer requests, you let us know that as well. We do have several folks that are continuing to be in the hospital this week and in recovery, and we certainly do want to remember them, especially during this season of the year, and continue to pray for them. A couple of things I want to point out to you. Um, the, the kids, the youth, actually, that will be going to the Extreme Conference, first of all, if you haven't paid your final $50 deposit, that does need to be turned in today. Uh, but also we'll be leaving at 9 o'clock on Tuesday morning, and so take note of that as well. Out in the foyer, uh, you'll see the new church calendars for 2023 as well as the new uh, offering envelopes. Listen to me very carefully. Get new offering envelopes and start using them next week. And do not use any from this past year after this week, okay? We get very confused in the office, okay, <laughs> when there's multiple numbers that are the same because you're using them from a different year. So make sure you get your new offering envelopes and use them for the first time. Your first, whatever, when you give, give your first offering of 23, use that new offering envelope. That'll get us the number, and we appreciate you very much on helping us in that way. Um, the, the church office will be closed tomorrow. 
uh, for the Christmas holiday. And uh, you notice the other things that are in your bulletin uh, this morning. So a lot going on. I hope you are having a great day of celebrating with family and celebrating with friends. And uh, throughout this Advent season, uh, we have recognized that we have much to celebrate in what Jesus Christ has done for us. We have uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who came to us and who who reminds us what life is really about. It's about us having a relationship uh, with our Heavenly Father, and that only comes through Him. And so today, uh, we'll have the opportunity to light our Christ candle. And we're reminded of uh, what it truly is all about when we look at 1 John 1, verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let us pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we have great reason to celebrate on this Christmas morning. Lord, you loved us so much that you came after us, knowing that we could never be good enough, that we could never be religious enough to climb all the way up to your holiness. And so you came to us. You humbled yourself and became a man and lived among us. You lived a sinless, perfect life, and you went to the cross of Calvary in our place, and you shed your blood for the remission of our sins, and you rose again, defeating even death in the grave. And we thank you so much for your great love. And so, Lord, today we do celebrate. We celebrate because of the relationship that we were able to have with you. And so, Lord, we were able to say Merry Christmas because we know that we have a Savior who loves us. And we know we have a home in heaven for eternity. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me sing Hark the Herald Angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Hark the Herald Angels sing. Glory to the newborn King, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, joyful. Please, as we sing this final carol, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy to the earth, the 
Amen. Thank you for that special music, Nadia. Thank you, Susie, on the piano. You want to believe what verse of Scripture we're going to be in this morning? Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. How about that? Luke chapter 2. And it has been a great day. I hope you've had a wonderful time with family this morning. Uh, maybe you opened some presents. 
Uh, maybe you had a big breakfast. Uh, hopefully you were with those that you love, and certainly we're together right now doing the most important thing we can do on Christmas, and that is worshiping our Savior. And so uh, as you turn there to Luke chapter 2, let's go together to our Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be able to celebrate your first advent. Lord, recognizing that we are looking towards your second. Lord, we are looking for the day when you return for your church. And Lord, we recognize that that could be any day. And so today we celebrate, today we thank you for putting on flesh and coming and dwelling among us. Loving us enough to rescue us by going to the cross and paying our sin debt. And Lord, we're thankful that you rose again, as only you, God, could do. And so, Lord, we have a reason to come and to sing with joy in our hearts. We have a reason to go and to tell family and friends even today about what you have done, are doing, and can do in their lives as well. Lord, speak to our hearts as only you can today. And I pray for my friends who are here. I know I've seen several today that I know don't yet have that relationship with you, and I pray that you're going to speak to their hearts this morning through your word, and Lord, on this Christmas of 2022, Lord, that they might have really a reason to celebrate, because they know who you are, not just in their head, not just facts about the Christmas story, but they know you personally as their Savior and Lord. Lord, I know I'm a very weak vessel. Hide me behind the cross if only you'd be seen and only you'd be heard. Fortune Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we've done a lot already today to celebrate Christmas, but how should we celebrate at church? How should we celebrate this most important time of the year? Uh, how, how should we go about it? Well, here at Brinesburg, we do a lot of things. Uh, we sing Christmas carols and Christmas choruses and Christmas hymns. We have Christmas cantatas. We go through Christmas sermon series. We do all kinds of things, but I think one of my favorite things that we do is the Christmas cantata. There's just something special about that, and I told several that were in it this past week that um, it's just it didn't seem like it's Christmas until you've had that opportunity to have that big celebration uh, through song in that way, and I, I thank the Lord that here at Brinesburg we still have the opportunity to do that with our choir ministry, and what I love about Christmas cantatas is that they have a unique way of sharing the gospel, especially at Christmas time and at Easter. Uh, you know, you have those cantatas that, that share the, the name of Jesus in a way that you just can't do any other time of the year. And one of my favorite parts of the cantata is the nativity scene. Um, when you have Mary and Joseph and you have the baby Jesus and you have the star overhead and of course you, you have uh, the shepherds c come in, they arrive, and the, all the pieces of, of the angels there and the wise men appear at some point. But then you also have the little kids. And, you know, they're always dressed up as uh, uh, sheep or cows or, or, or whatever it may be. But the nativity scene, as simple as it may be, it reminds us of a profound truth. And it reminds us that at Christmas we're celebrating so much more than the giving of gifts and Christmas specials on TV and cards and big meals, that we are celebrating the incarnation of God. That he came, he put on flesh, and he came, and he dwelt among us. We celebrate the love, we celebrate the grace of God, who willingly laid down his heavenly glory to be born in the humblest circumstances so that lost people like us could be saved. And so we celebrate the moment that that all took place. And so everything that we place in the nativity, every person represented in the nativity glorifies the Savior. And so when we see the nativity, we often smile at the quaintness and the simplicity of it all. And I, I think everybody would agree with me. One of the best parts of a nativity scene is when the kids just do their own thing. And they, you know, they're, they're going to pull up their costume and, you know, just uh, do all the crazy stuff. And I think a lot of times people come just to see what the kids are going to do. And we laugh and we kind of giggle about that, knowing what's going to happen. But, but it's just something special about it. Yet, when we see the nativity, I hope it touches something deeper in our hearts. And I hope it stands in a contrast to what the world says Christmas is about. It helps us to remember that God loves us. That he came to this world to die for us. That he paid 
the most unthinkable price to provide a glorious salvation for all of us who are willing to receive him. And yet, in the nativity, there are always missing pieces. I've never seen a nativity where there weren't missing pieces. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, Mary and Joseph are there, and they certainly loved the Lord, Jesus. The angels are there, and they're worshiping him. The shepherds are there, and they're worshiping him. The wise men are there, and they're worshiping him. Even those little animals represented by the children dressed up so cute in their own way are there to represent that they are worshiping him. And so we see the people involved in the nativity scene, and that's about as far as we go in our minds with the nativity, with the Christmas story. And so we come away with the impression that Jesus came and that Jesus died for people who loved him. That that's the people he came for. That he came into this world to give his life for good people. The good people among us. That's who he came for. And so we come away thinking that, okay, Jesus came for people who are good and who love him and who are, who are good to other people. That's, that's who Jesus came for. But church, that's a whole long way away from why Jesus really came. You see, there were a lot of people involved in the first Christmas who don't show up in our quaint little nativity scene in the Christmas cantata. They are the forgotten pieces. And what we must remember at Christmas and throughout the year is that Jesus Christ did not come to this world to die for people who loved him. You, you want to know why? Because in and of ourselves, none of us loved him. Not in and of ourselves. He came to give his life for those who hated him. He came for those who wanted him dead. Mark 2, 17. They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so as we look at the first Christmas again this morning, I want you to pay special attention with me to some of these missing pieces Within the nativity. Please stand with me and honor the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 2. Let's look at verses 1 through 20 together real quick. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swallowing clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in their field, keeping watch over their field by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. You may be seated. So there are several missing pieces that I want you to see this morning. And the first is the fact that the ignorant are missing. And the first missing piece that we're going to consider is Caesar Augustus. Verses 2 through 6 tells us that Caesar Augustus ordered a taxing of his kingdom. Now Caesar Augustus ordered this taxing because he wanted to have the opportunity 
to see how many people lived under his reign. Now, why did he want to do that? So that he could then know how much he could tax them to raise revenue for his kingdom. So Caesar Augustus saw himself as a god. In fact, to the place where he required every citizen to offer a pinch of incense upon a burning altar once a year in worship to him. And so yet, what Augustus did not know was that the one true and living God was using this poor, ignorant Roman to accomplish his sovereign will. What Augustus did not know was that God was using him, the ruler at that time of the most powerful empire in the world, to accomplish God's sovereign will and to fulfill an ancient prophecy. And so we have no way of knowing the human reason why Augustus timed this census in the exact time that he did. But we do know that God did it for his perfect timing. In fact, Paul tells us in Galatians 4, 4 through 5, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So back in the Garden of Eden, God promised Adam and Eve that he would send a Savior into this world. God worked through the course of human history until here the perfect time came for him to send forth his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus when many human conditions came together perfectly. When God sent his Son into the world, the ancient world benefited from some conditions that made it far easier finally at this point in time to spread the good news of the gospel of salvation. And four of those conditions were, first of all, Roman law. We know that Roman law protected Paul and it protected other apostles uh, as they traveled the Roman world and as they preached the gospel. But secondly, Roman peace, the lack of war in the Roman Empire allowed the apostles and early believers to travel freely and, and, and without much fear really at that time. But thirdly was Roman roads, the excellent Roman roads, some of which are still existing today and still in use, made it easy for um, folks to be able to travel from town to town in a way that wasn't really possible before. But then fourth is the Greek language. The language of Greece, which was the most common language in the world at that time, was really the perfect language for the spread of the gospel. Because Greek was an expressive language and it allowed deep truth to be explained in detail. And so when Augustus issues this decree, he didn't know that he was also being used by God to fulfill an ancient prophecy. From Micah 5 2, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting." Because the families of Joseph and Mary were from Bethlehem, the command to be counted forced them to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem where Jesus was prophesied to be born. Augustus was ignorant of his involvement with the sovereign plan of God, and yet he is just as much a part of the Christmas story as the angels and the shepherds. You see, Jesus came into this world to save people just like Augustus. He came to save those who are ignorant of God and living for themselves. He came to save the dead and the deceived and the depraved and the doomed. He came to save those who move through this life without a thought about God or his will. He came to save lost sinners from their sins and to save them from themselves. The ignorant, the people just like Caesar Augustus are the whosoever that Jesus came to save. But secondly, the indifferent are missing. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, we are introduced to another person who was part of the Christmas story with this simple phrase, because there was no room for them in the inn. In larger ancient inns, there was always an innkeeper. And so the innkeeper kept watch over the inn and he collected money from those who were coming to stay in their establishment. Inns in the ancient Middle East were not like our modern motels or hotels. They were usually an open courtyard that was surrounded then by some enclosures with awnings or other shelter where people could bed down for the night. They provided travelers with just a little bit of safety so they could rest from their travels for the evening. 
The innkeeper would be paid by the traveler for a safe place to stay, and it was his duty to provide lodging and food and drink and shelter. And so the inn at Bethlehem was actually an ancient inn. It had been in business for a very long time. And so when Joseph arrives at the inn in Bethlehem with a very pregnant Mary, the innkeeper turns them away because the inn was already filled with travelers because of the census. And so his words to them as he turned them away told them that he had absolutely no room for them in the inn. But was he correct? Was it true? Did he really not have any room for them anywhere? Well, the question comes, what about his room? He could have given Mary and Joseph, this pregnant woman who's clearly about to give birth, he could have said, you know what, I have a room. And he could have made room by giving them the room that he had to stay in. He could have, but why didn't he? Because he was indifferent to the need. As an afterthought, he points them to the cave behind the inn where all the animals would have been tied up. Perhaps they could find some room for themselves there. But he didn't see it as his problem. And the truth is, this innkeeper was unmoved. He was unmoved by Mary and and her obvious need at that moment. He was indifferent to the fact that the divine plan of God had brought him face to face with the Savior of humanity. And without a thought, he turns him away. The innkeeper was indifferent that night, but he was as much a part of the Christmas story as anyone else who we place in our nativity scenes. We don't mention him very often, but he needs to be included as well. You see, our world is filled with so many people who are just like the innkeeper. When they hear the gospel, they are indifferent to it. They don't care about God. They don't care about the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't care about the gospel of grace. They think those things have nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with the lives that they're living here in 2022. And so they hear our witness, but they leave unmoved. They pass by our churches, and guess what? They don't care what we're doing on Christmas morning. They don't care about what's going on in here. They don't realize that Jesus Christ died for indifferent people too. They don't realize that Jesus Christ died for indifferent people. He died for the very people who could care less about him. He died for the busy person. He died for the preoccupied people. He died for the self-centered people. He died for the person who cannot see past the end of their nose. This morning, wake up, listen to me. Do you know who he's talking about? He died for you. Do you understand that? He died for you. In the balcony. Yeah, he died for you. He died for you that are playing right now. He died for you that are concerned about dinner tonight. He died for you. When Jesus came, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But he came anyway. He came and he died and he died to save the indifferent from their sins. He came to save them from themselves. And so they are part of the whosoever of whom Jesus died. Jesus died for the indifferent. John 7, 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And so, if the indifferent will hear him, and if they will come to him, they will be saved. But thirdly, I want you to see the, the incredulous are missing. Look at verses 15 through 18. It introduces us to another group who are the missing pieces from the nativity scene every year. The shepherds heard the message of the angels, and so they went as fast as they could to Bethlehem to see the baby Jesus. And when they saw him, they believed the message of the angels, and then having gone and worshipped for themselves the Lord, they returned to their sheep. As these shepherds made their way back into the hill country to return to their flocks, We're told here that they told everyone they saw about this little baby they had met who was lying in a manger. They told them about the message the angels had given to them. In verse 18, it says that everyone who heard the story wondered at it. They wondered at it. Okay, so that word means to be impressed. It means to marvel. It carries the idea of being astonished by something. The news 
that these shepherds were telling left everyone they saw with their mouths open like, what? That's a crazy story. That's amazing. So they were astonished. They were amazed at this dirty group of vile shepherds who are moving through the streets of this little town of Bethlehem, praising God and preaching about the coming of the long-awaited Messiah. And so the people heard this story, and they were amazed. I want you to think about what, what they were preaching. They're saying, the Messiah, the Messiah who has been prophesied from ages past, that Messiah has been born right here in Bethlehem. And not only that, but he came as a little baby, and they, they have laid him in a feeding trough, in a manger that's made for animals. That is where our Messiah is right now, and we've been there, and we've worshipped him. So those kinds of things were being said that night. And these folks, they hear the story, and it impressed them. But listen to me. They never went to see if it was true. Can you imagine that? Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, is born, and he's in town, lying in a manger back there in in the cave where they keep the animals. And they did nothing to see about it themselves. Nothing. How sad. The Savior of the world was so very close, and they failed to even go and check it out for themselves. Again, it describes so many in our world where we preach the gospel and we tell the world that Jesus loves them, and they hear the message and they see the change in our lives. They, they recognize it's true, but they never get, investigate it for themselves. Well, that's good for you. I'm glad that your life has been changed. I'm glad that you're a new creation I'm glad that God has done a work in your life, but they don't care to check it out for themselves. And they miss the opportunity, opportunity after opportunity they miss to meet the Lord for themselves. And maybe it's because they're too busy, or maybe it's because they're preoccupied with life, or maybe it's because they're afraid of the cost. But whatever the reason may be, they miss the best thing that they could ever receive, which is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came for people like that. He came for people who are too busy and too caught up in their own lives to come after him. He died to save people just like that. He died to to save people like the the rich young ruler that we see in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 21. Mark shares the story of, of this man, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, very clearly, he tells him, Your possessions are so great that they have begun to possess you. So, brother, here's what you got to do. You're going to have to turn away from those possessions. You're going to have to leave them behind and then come and follow me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Come and follow me. Leave that stuff and follow me. And we're told that the man walked away sad, and yet Jesus offers him salvation. We're told in verse 21, Jesus loved this young man, but salvation was so close. It was so close to him, and yet... He was not willing to pay the price. The message was very appealing, but the cost was not. And listen to me this morning. Every time that you hear a sermon, God is passing close to you. And every time someone gives a testimony to you or tries to share the gospel with you, God is passing close to you. Every time you feel the draw of the Holy Spirit in your life, God is passing right by you at that very moment he is passing by. So don't take those heavily invitations lightly. The news that God loves you may impress you, but listen to me. It will not save you until you turn to him by faith. It's not enough to have head knowledge. You must have him in your heart. The gospel message of the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ might cause you to marvel at the love of God for sinners, but it will not save you unless you believe on him. And that's why the Bible says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Isaiah 55, 6. So I invite you this morning to stop simply marveling at the message. And I invite you to come to Jesus for salvation today. You are why he came. You're why he came and why he died, why he rose again. And if you'll receive him, he will save you and he'll save you by his grace. The difference between heaven and hell can be as simple as the difference between being impressed with the gospel and actually believing it in your heart. Acts 16, 31. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. But fourthly, the self-righteous are missing. By using the word self-righteous, I'm referring to the religious leaders of that day. 
who were so very blind to who Jesus was. They were so blind to the truth that they failed to see that it was the Messiah who was right there in front of them. Take, for instance, the rabbi there in Bethlehem in Luke 2, 21, who circumcised Jesus. He's holding Messiah in his hands, and he missed it completely. This religious man placed Christ in his hands. The Jewish Messiah was there, and he failed to recognize him. Consider the chief priests and the scribes who were summoned by Herod in Matthew chapter 2. I want you to think about this with me, okay? Consider them. When the wise men arrive in Jerusalem, okay, these guys have come from Persia. And they're following a star. And why are they following the star? star? We're told that they they tell them they've been following a star because it's going to lead them to the king of the Jews. Okay? So Herod calls these religious leaders together and he asks them where this Christ child will be born. Okay? He's asking them, if it is Messiah, where would he be? And they quote Micah 5.2. And they say the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Okay, you following with me? They have just told the king and these magi from the east where Messiah would be if he was truly born as the king of the Jews. He will be born in Bethlehem. There's a new star. It is blazing in the sky, pouring down at Bethlehem. These men... This is amazing. These are religious men. These men know, know the word of God in, the, in their heads, okay? They, they're holding it. They hold the, 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 the law and the prophecies in their hands, okay? They have in their hands and their minds the word of God. They have in front of them a group of men from Persia who have traveled hundreds of miles following this star, leading them to the birthplace of Jesus, A star which had been prophesied in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. And yet these men are so preoccupied with their religious positions that they fail to travel five miles. My son Daniel can run five miles in about what? How how fast can you do that? 30 minutes? Five miles. They don't travel five miles. To see if it could be the Messiah. To see if it could be the King of the Jews. They're satisfied with the religion. They were satisfied with what they believe that God believes about them. They believe that God sees them as they're fine, they're religious, they're, they've done all these things. So they think they're good. In their minds, they have reached the pinnacle of spiritual success, and they need nothing more. It seems to me that they were saying, you know what, if he truly is the Messiah, you know what, he can, he, we're not going to go five miles. He can come to us. He can come to us. He can come to Jerusalem. And guess what? Years later, he would come to Jerusalem. And you know what they would do? They crucified him on a Roman cross. That's how little they cared. These self-righteous Jewish religious leaders are just as much a part, though, of the Christmas story as the shepherds and the angels and the magi. They remind us of so many in our world who have a form of godliness but lack the power thereof. They remind us of so many who have joined our churches and quoted our prayers and walked through the baptismal waters and yet have never received a life-changing, sin-killing, eternity-altering relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. They are religious and headed to hell. Because they don't have a relationship. And Jesus died for people just like them. He died for the self-righteous religious person who thinks they're good enough on their own. He died to deliver them from their deceived mindset and from the deception that keeps them trapped. He died to set them free from their spiritual darkness and bondage. And how do I know that? Consider Saul of Tarsus. He was a deeply religious man. He was zealous for, for the Jewish law going so far as arresting Christians and having them put to death for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But despite his zeal and despite his religious purity, despite his spotless Jewish heritage, despite how well he kept the law, Saul of Tarsus was a lost man who was headed to hell. He just could not see it because of his self-righteousness. It had blinded him to his lost condition. And so when God opened his eyes on the road to Damascus, 
Saul bowed before the Lord Jesus, and he was radically saved. Here's his testimony in 1 Timothy 1, 12-15. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and an injurer, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Notice Paul doesn't mention his achievements. He, he doesn't list this long list of accommodations. Paul came to, to, to see himself as a sinner who God had changed radically into a saint. When he recognized his sin, he repented, and God was willing to save his soul. And there are so many in our world who need that today. There are so many who have convinced themselves that they're all right because of what they've done. And yet they're just as lost in their sin as the person who's living a wayward lifestyle. You see, Jesus died for self-righteous people from their religion. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Salvation does not come by doing good things. Let me say it a little louder in the back. Salvation does not come from you doing good things. Do you get it? You're not going to be saved because you're here this morning. You're not going to be saved because you've come to church for the last 20 years with a perfect attendance. You're not going to be saved because you have given money to the poor. It's not what does it. It comes by first realizing that there is no good in us, first of all. It comes then by realizing that Jesus, in his death on the cross, did what we could never do. He opened a way to God for all those who will believe on him. So when we believe, we are saved. And so I invite you to lay aside your self-righteousness. You're not good enough to get to heaven on your own. You mean That may be news to you this morning, but you are not good enough to get to heaven on your own. You need Jesus. To come, so come to him this Christmas morning and be saved. That's the message of Christmas. But lastly, I want you to see the wicked are missing. The wicked are missing. Another missing piece in the nativity scene, and yet belongs there as much as anyone else, is King Herod. Alongside him in that nativity might be the soldiers as well, who marched into Bethlehem and executed those precious innocent children at his command. King Herod, also known as Herod the Great, was a wicked man. He was a half-Jew, half-Edomite. A half-Jew, half-Gentile was a man that Jews had no time for. And so he served as king, but he was really under the control of the Roman emperor. And in an effort to win the favor of the Jews and to also maintain peace in his kingdom, he spent 46 years and an enormous sum of money turning the Jewish temple into a place of great beauty and splendor. But King Herod was a very cruel man. In fact, he had his wives and he had some of his own sons put to death as he felt that they were after his power. He even went so far as when he found out that he was about to die, he ordered at the day of his death for 70 Jewish religious leaders to be executed. He did so so that on the day of his death there would be weeping in the land. This was a cruel, self-centered murderer that the wise men approached to find out where the king of the Jews would be born. Herod made a show of finding the answer to their question. He sends the wise men to Bethlehem to find this child they claim is the fulfillment of ancient prophecy. And he tells them to bring him word when they find him so that he might worship him himself. Herod's true intentions are revealed when the wise men don't show up back in front of him. And in a murderous rage, he sends his soldiers to Bethlehem with instructions to kill every male child under the age of two. Here was a man so jealous of his position and power that he was willing to murder innocent children just to maintain a grip on power. What a tragedy. And yet our world is filled with self-centered, cruel people still today. They need to know that Jesus died to save them as well. Jesus came to this world to live and to die so that the wicked could also be delivered from their evil.
Jesus died for people like King Herod and the soldiers that conducted his orders. Jesus died for abortionists and serial killers and murderers and drunks and drug addicts and thieves. He died for ruthless people who are willing to do anything it takes to hold on to power and to climb the corporate ladder. He died for people who will step on anyone to get what they want. He died for those who don't care about the feelings or the needs of the people around them. He died for the mean and the hateful people who we oftentimes have to rub shoulders with on a daily basis. He died for the wicked and the sinful people who do as they please with no thought of anyone other than themselves. He died for those who think only of number one. He died for politicians and for bankers and for stockbrokers. He died for teachers and for homemakers and farmers and truck drivers. He also died for pastors and deacons and Sunday school teachers. Jesus Christ died for sinners. And that includes every person who has ever lived or whoever will. You see, Jesus died for you. He died for you. And our world is filled with people, and therefore it is filled with wicked people. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus entered this world to die for wicked people. And I'm thankful that he died for me. And I'm thankful that he died for you. And so perhaps you are here on this Christmas morning of 2022, and you recognize maybe for the very first time in a real way that you are a missing piece. By the world standards, you're not a bad person. You love your family dearly, and they love you. You're a hard worker. Nobody would doubt that. You might even be a regular attender. Listen to me. You might be a member of Bronzeford Baptist Church. However, you are a missing piece because you have never actually entered into a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come for perfect people, and I'm glad because I'm not one. He came to save those who realize that they can never save themselves. Please hear me this morning. You are not good enough to earn salvation. I can't tell you that enough. You are not religious enough to earn salvation. You are not related enough to enough good people for them to pray for you or, or, or talk good about you and, 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 and earn you salvation through them. You see, because salvation is never earned. Salvation can simply be received by those willing to repent of sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning, come. Come join the worshipers around Jesus Christ this morning. Come as a broken, missing piece. And I beg with you this morning, join the family of God. Lord, help me, Father. Thank you, Lord, this Christmas morning for the fact that you did not come for perfect people. You came for broken people. You came for the missing pieces, and that is each and every one of us. And, Lord, if we will hear you this morning, you've told us you'll save us. And, Lord, I know I've got some friends here, and maybe they're older, maybe they're younger, but they think, you know what, I, I'm here every week, and, and I'm part of the church family because I'm here all the time. And they don't see themselves as being very bad. And so they think they're okay. But, Lord, I pray this Christmas morning you help them to recognize that they need a personal relationship with you. And they must respond to you. They can't just continue to go through the motions. They must come into a relationship with you. Lord, some, some dear friends need to be saved today. Lord, I pray they're listening. I pray that you would push away their indifference. And I pray that they would come and say yes to you today. To your honor and glory, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.